You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. So in World War I, there was this really profound moment that happened the first Christmas after the war began. <clears throat> the war started in July, and it was projected to end in December, in Christmas, and by December, it wasn't over. Um, and it was because the machine guns had just really made the killing of soldiers really efficient, more efficient than ever, and so the result was that um, instead of traditional battle lines, like the advent of trench warfare began, which meant that we would dig in to these little foxholes and shoot across the no man's land and win five, 10 feet a day, maybe, backwards and forwards. It's just a stalemate, you know, and it would just go on and on. And so um, by that Christmas, even though the higher-ups were not ready to call a truce, um, the lower commanders and the lower soldiers and officers, like, decided to have one. So on Christmas Eve, some of the commanders came across to talk and arrange, and then on Christmas morning, some of the soldiers waved a couple flags in the air, and, and then they went out into no man's land, the very same place where just blood was shed and spilled over the last five months, and they exchanged buttons from their jackets and, and gifts together, and they played soccer uh, together. They played, played football and um, pretended there wasn't a war going on for, for 24 hours. Some of them exchanged prisoners, like gave prisoners back to one another out of, out of goodwill and practiced peace right in the middle of the war. And so um, the Christmas truce of 1914 is a really beautiful thing uh, because it is an ironic, um, almost spontaneous and unrepeatable thing to practice peace in the middle of a war. But it's also utterly tragic because it never happened again. After 1914, the war just got worse and worse and bloodier and bloodier and bitter and bitter. And by the time it was 1915 and 16, although there were a few people that wanted to practice practice truces on Christmas, like that was out of the question by 1915 and 16. And there wasn't any peace on that Western front or any other front until 1919. And so as a microcosm, um, You know, human history itself um, is not a history that is about um, prolific peace that is sometimes interrupted by war. In fact, the truce is a microcosm of, of all of our human history. Our history as humans is war that is only sometimes interrupted by peace. We are not a people of peace that sometimes get interrupted by war. We're a people of war that sometimes take a break from our shooting to find time for a little bit of peace. If you grabbed 100 years out of all recorded history and just grabbed 100, you know, a sample year out of all of recorded history, only 93 of those years, uh, or excuse me, only, only seven of those years would have been given to peace, and 93 of percent of all the years of human history have been uh, marked with bloodshed and with war. And the troubling statistic beyond that is the fact that as we get more evolved and as we study war and as we study peace and as we communicate more effectively and efficiently than ever on the internet, 
this last hundred years is the bloodiest hundred years of all time. Like we're not evolving and growing beyond it. Like we're just getting worse. And so Isaiah chapter 6, the passage that we'll look at today, excuse me, Isaiah chapter 8 followed by Isaiah chapter 9, uh, uh, diagnoses that uh, to say the reason why we don't have uh, peace on earth uh, is not because we don't have good plans for peace on earth, it's because we don't have peace within us. Isaiah chapter 9 talks about a deep, deep darkness that exists within all of humanity without Jesus, and the reason we don't have or practice peace on earth is because people don't have peace in them. And they can't practice things they don't have. And he goes on to say that the real reason why we don't have peace on earth is not because we don't have good songs or good plans for uh, embarking on peace, but it's because we don't have peace with God himself. We are a dark people living in the dark without any light. And so um, it reminded me of this, uh, this time that we set out these mice traps in, uh, in my mom's cupboard and uh, we had found these little mice, and they were stuck on the little thing, and they were in a cupboard full of food, but they were biting at each other. And that's the picture. It's these people that are in this enraged famine that are biting at each other in violence. They can't produce any peace because there's no peace in them. And so what Isaiah says that God has sent to us, and the reason why we would celebrate a thing like Christmas at a time like this is because God has not just sent us a plan for peace. He sent us a prince. And heaven and angels and earth, now and even forevermore, will call him a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, and an everlasting father. This is the time of year when pastors are supposed to say, yeah, I know, but it's tough, and Christmas is really sad for some people because you're not going to see somebody for the first time, or you're going to be dealing with something over Christmas. And there is deep sorrow that that works into our hearts at all times of year, not alone, let alone Christmas, but sometimes it gets a little more melancholy around the holidays. But I just don't want to preach that to you this morning because we have a Prince of Peace. We never had anything more or less than that in the first place. And so we just don't need good advice. Like, we need a wonderful counselor. And because of Jesus, we have a wonderful counselor. And we don't just need better strategies. How many of you guys have a list of things you know you ought to do, but you don't have strength to do it? You know why? Because you need a mighty God to do it in you. And we need an everlasting Father. We live in a love famine. And even when we're surrounded by people who love us and, and communicate love to us, we sometimes can't feel that love. And so we need an everlasting Father that will love us into this. And so there's a good news, bad news scenario in all of this. And the bad news is, um, even though many schools, like the school that I went to, Indiana University, have developed entire curriculums around peacemaking, people will say, well, don't be a, a peacekeeper, be a peacemaker, be a virtuous peacemaker. The truth is, there's no humans that are making or keeping or finding any peace outside of Jesus. And so you and I cannot make any peace outside of Jesus. We can listen to a nice Bonnie Bear CD, just put a candle on and get a nice red wine. That's not peace. That's comfort. Those are good things. That's peacefulness. That's coziness. And those, those are fine things to practice, but that's not his peace. We can create treaties and truces and tyranny 
to try and manifest a human peace. We cannot make or keep peace on our own because dark things can't make light. And we would need Jesus for that. But the good news is, to you and me, we can receive his peace. And so John 14 says it this way. He says to his disciples and to you and me this morning, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. But I don't give you peace like the world gives you peace. How many of you guys want his peace instead of the world's peace? The good news about losing your peace this year is if something took your peace, it wasn't peace. And when we find our fake peace losing, we're in the best opportunity to find real peace for the first time. And that's the good news, that Jesus is our Prince of Peace. He has a deep peace, a wide peace, a long peace. How many of you guys know he's working on your family's peace and it takes longer than you want it to? And it's not comfort, comfortable. It doesn't sound like a Bonnie Bear Spotify album, right? It doesn't sound like red wine in a bubble bath. But he's making peace, and it's better than your peace. It's taking longer than you want it to, but he's making peace because he's the prince of peace, and he doesn't bring violence. He only brings peace, and he wants to give you his peace, not yours. And when we find out that our peace was shaken and fake in the first place, we're actually in a good spot because we just might find his peace then at that point. So this is what Isaiah says about people without Jesus. When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritualists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why not consult the dead? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they are famished. They have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land when they are famished, and they will become enraged, looking upwards, and they'll curse their king and their God. And then they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. And so um, the context of this passage in Isaiah chapter 8 is a prophecy forward towards an Assyrian Exile and captivity that hasn't come yet. And in the Bible, when you look at the prophets, exile is never random. Exile falls on people because of injustice. It says earlier in the book of Isaiah that he hates their gatherings and he hates their beauty pageants and their brands and their, Christian, their, their religious magic shows and all that kind of stuff. And it talks about the falseness of the justice within their, within their nation. And so exile has fallen on Israel because of their injustice. But injustice is only a manifestation, a symptom of idolatry. The reason why you and me uh, treat one person better than another person is because one person serves one of our idols better than the other one does. And so exile comes from injustice, and, and injustice comes from exile. And so if you look at the passage, this is exemplified, I think, in verse 21, for example, distressed and hungry, they will go roaming through the land when they are famished, they will become enraged, and they look upwards, and they'll curse their king and their God. And here's the real problem, the real reason why violence will always live in us and around us. Verse 22, because they'll look towards the earth instead of their creator and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. The reason why exile and war and cursing between man and between God exists is because people look to the ground instead of their God. In other words, the way that I would explain it 
or he used a definition from this. Uh, Isaiah is, is teaching us that violence, the definition of violence, a great definition would be trusting someone else to give you what only God can give you. Violence is taking from others what you're not trusting from God. So um, if you're at work, you have a job description, and that's your lane. And when somebody comes into your lane and takes something out of your job description and undermines your authority and messes up your sandbox, you get ticked off, right? And so you can trust God for what it is that he might be doing in that situation, or you can take matters into your own hands and grumble and undermine them back. And Isaiah says that in a deep darkness and utter darkness, we usually choose the latter than the former, that violence is taking from others what you're not trusting from God. Some of you guys have been through um, marital splits before and have dealt with uh, the custody battle that lies therein. And typically what will happen is one parent's narrative will begin to spew against another parent's narrative, and the goal of the first parent is to get the kid to side against the second parent with their narrative. And when that parent on the other side of that no man's land in their trench against the other person's trench sees that violence ensue, they have a decision to take or to trust, and they often take, and they don't trust. Violence is taking from others what we don't trust God to do for us on our behalf. We are going through our Instagram feed, you know, and uh, either we find our heart given to judgmentalism or to comparison, that I am worse than you or better than you based on what you just put on the picture. And I am given the choice at that point in time to take or trust, and I often take and don't trust and continue to roll my eyes at that person I shouldn't be following in the first place since I haven't liked any of their pictures for 15 years, Right? <laughs> And so exile is only a symptom of injustice, but injustice is only a symptom of idolatry. And the reason why there is war in the land is because there's rage in people. And the reason why there's rage within people is because they are looking at the ground for what only God can give them. And they're darkened in their heart. And they're blind to where they are. And so this is the way that James talks about it. It's a tough pill to swallow, but sometimes tough things can set us free. Uh, James says it this way in James chapter 4, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? I mean, it's that person, they're just unruly. I mean, how could I possibly not have war with that person? They're a violent person, and everything they do is bring strife. And so violence begets violence, of course, tit for tat, of course, eye for an eye, but James 4, verse 4 says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you don't have. So you kill, and you mock, and you steal, and you grumble, and you gossip, and practice violence. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God for it. You ask the ground what only God can give you. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. In other words, here is such a great boundary-setting rubric, right, for our heart and for others, is that no one is responsible or capable of our peace. 
And so drama, all right, is, uh, is actually, James is saying that drama is not a random occurrence that is happening within circumstances. All drama that we practice with others is actually a repercussion of drama that we have with God. Anybody you know has drama with everyone? Anyone that you know in your life, maybe it's yourself, that has drama with everyone that they are talking to? What is James saying? That drama isn't because of them. It's because what's going on inside of you. Because you ask the ground for what only God can give you, and what will you get out of that except for famine and rage? And so my peace is no one else's responsibility or capability, but my own. And that's a powerful place to be and understand because drama is not a circumstance, it's a habit. And drama that I practice with others is only revealing the drama I have with God. There is no such thing as drama with people and not drama with God. The only thing that can come out of idolatry is injustice, and the only thing that can come out of injustice is war. Everybody wants peace until somebody gets hit in the mouth. You want peace until something happens to your wife. And then you want punishment, and then you want revenge. And this is the darkness that comes out, right? And so here's the deal. is not just that we want peace and can't find it. It's that we couldn't spell peace. Like if peace came up and hit us in the mouth, we wouldn't even know what it was. This is how dark that he's explaining. And so I don't know if you guys have ever seen um, some of these really charming baby videos that will show up on your Instagram feed where the baby can't see uh, or can't hear, and all of a sudden they can hear. Isn't that just a tearjerker? I mean, it's just too much, guys. Like, what are you doing in the holidays showing me a baby that can't hear, and all of a sudden they can hear? This little baby in picture number, the picture on the left can't hear, and all of a sudden because the hearing aids can hear. What a beautiful thing. Do I have the other one with the glasses or no? Did I miss that one? There's another one with the glasses where the baby can't see, and then all of a sudden can see. And so what, what this dark light metaphor that Isaiah is going to use in the rest of Isaiah chapter 9 is this picture of a people that are in a dark, dark, like in a dark room, have you ever been somewhere so dark that if you put your hand in front of your eyes, like you couldn't even see the eyes in front of you? This is the idea is that it's not just that we want peace and can't find it. It's that we've never seen peace before. We wouldn't even know how to recognize peace if it was in our midst. And so Isaiah, 8, or Isaiah 9 says it this way. It says the people, or verse 1, Isaiah chapter 8, excuse me, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 says this. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress in the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Ross, if you could put up Luke, uh, Matthew chapter 4, what um, Isaiah is talking about is that, that peace, he's comparing it to a light, but as we cross-reference that to Matthew chapter 4, we see the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 8 in Matthew chapter 4 when Matthew says, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison uh, to Galilee... Next, next slide. I think I might be off. Oh, yeah. When Jesus found that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been put in prison, it says, leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Nephtali. Have we heard of those locations? Next slide. To fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Next slide. As we just read, the land of Zebulun, the land of Nephtali, the land of that is by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. It was the most darkest region in all of uh, Israel where the Assyrians had invaded first and where captivity had hit first, and Jesus had arrived at that place. The next slide. And Jesus preached his only sermon that he ever preached. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And so Isaiah says that people are blind and deaf and don't even 
not just want peace, but they, they don't even know what peace is. They wouldn't know peace if it showed up on their doorstep. And so he compares it to a light. But as we cross-reference it, peace in Isaiah is compared to a light, and then light in Matthew is compared to a person, which is Jesus. That peace is a person that walks around, that puts on shoes and ties them up and visits people and goes from place to place in Galilee. And this is the rest of the prophecy that points to our Jesus. In verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned, and you have enlarged the nations and increased your joy. And they rejoice before you as people rejoice in the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. See, the biblical word for peace is not just the absence of violence, but the presence of Jesus. Do you notice there that in the famine, he didn't just hand out a little bit of bread, but he brought a harvest to the party. Like he didn't just come and feed 5,000 fish, but he sat up there and preached the kingdom of God to poor people and anyone that would listen because he was feeding a harvest to the people that were there on that hill. Notice that he doesn't just get the enemy off of these people's back, as in verse 4, for in the day of Midian, that is the Gideon's army, where Gideon trims down his army so he could show the strong arm of the Lord and his minority against the majority army. Not only does he win victories and play defense for the people of God, but look what it said earlier on that he brought in verse 3, a warrior's rejoicing plunder to the armies. In other words, he wasn't just interested in freeing the Jews from captivity, but his first, one of his first miracles, he heals and saves a centurion Roman guard because he's not just interested in evacuating violence, but taking plunder even away from our enemies. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Even, even the garments of warriors are going to be used for this peacemaking mission in Jesus' name. I was thinking about the lady at John chapter 4, the woman at the well, who had just gotten called out on all of her sexual promiscuity, and Jesus leads her soul to the thirst that she's been aching for. And from that place, not only does revival take her heart, but she goes and spreads the revival gospel message to every to her little town that she was from. And it said that hundreds were saved because of her testimony, right? He's not just interested in playing defense and evacuating violence. He's interested in, interested in invading peace into dark places and spaces because he is the Prince of Peace. And so this is what it says about the, the peace that has come to us. Like, if we didn't have faith, we might not recognize it. But it says that Jesus is a prince of peace, which means that he's a mighty counselor. I'm a, a big fan of counseling. I think that counseling is, is not to be ashamed of, and I don't think in, in our generation it, it really even is anymore. But as a person that's been to counseling, marriage counseling, have done counseling before, have been a part of counseling, been in marriage counseling, and just counseling on my own, there's definitely a range of good and bad counselors, right? There are people that um, give this really good advice and really good counseling that you would tell all your friends and all your friends are learning off of what this counselor is saying. And then there's bad counselors that are giving you bad advice. And most counselors are just right there in the middle. They're listening to your problems and hearing you talk and taking your money for sure. And I'm, and I'm, not, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing to go to counseling. What I am saying is this, is that you and I both know when we're in that room and the little C counselor stops talking and the big C counselor starts talking, that's what we know. And I don't know how much money you're spending and how many counseling appointments you go to. I'm not interested in any little C counselor. I'm interested in the capital C counselor. That's what we're after. I'm comforted to know that as I spend time doing sermon prep and looking at the Bible and giving you verses and talking to you and stuff like that, to know that the counsel of the Holy Spirit is not on my shoulders. That if you're gonna hear anything out of my mouth, 
and it's going to matter at all to you and bring life to you, it's because you've been visited by a wonderful counselor, and that person is not me. I don't know if you're like me, but I don't need any more strategies in my life. I got a bunch of books and a bunch of Instagrams and a bunch of pithy quotes from Caroline Leaf and Christine Kane and everybody else telling me about good, practical, spiritual advice. You know what I really need more than strategies? Some strength. How many of you guys uh, have some ideas but no energy to carry them out? You know what God is? He's a mighty God. And he brings might to your life. And all the reasons why we don't have peace in our homes and peace in our heart is because we don't have a mighty counselor that we're leaning on and we don't have a mighty God that we have strength from and we need those things for peace because peace is not a plan, it's a person. And I need a mighty God in my life. We live in 2021 in a wisdom famine. The reason why we have war in our hearts and in our streets and in our families is because we live in a wisdom famine. And even if God gave us any peace, we'd turn it into chaos in five seconds or less. Because we need a counselor. A counselor that we can't pay $100 an hour. A counselor has come to lay his life down for us and fill us up with his counsel. We need a mighty counselor. The reason why we lack peace in our lives and in our hearts is because we need strength, not just strategy. We need a mighty God. We need peace to invade. The reason why we have strife and war in our families and in our streets and in our countries and in our nations is because we're in a love famine. And if even somebody were to love us with all of their heart and all of their mind and all of their strength, we still wouldn't receive it because we need supernatural love. And that's what all of these words are. They're above words. They're beyond understanding words. They're above wisdom and above strength and might and above love. And that's exactly who this Prince of Peace is. He's not just come to evacuate violence, to bring us his presence because there is no peace without Jesus and there is no Jesus without perfect peace. He is a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, and an everlasting father. He is called a Prince of Peace. And so I'll give you an example of this. Um, uh, I have a little bit of a Chevy Chase dad in me. I'm 37. I'm from Hong Kong, so I'm not a purebred suburban dad, but I'm getting there pretty quickly. And so um, like most of us suburban dads, we have our plans. We're going to get the Christmas tree. We're going to have a great time. You know, we want to get those plans. It's going to be great. And we're going to have the eggnog, and no one's going to talk. Uh, and so um, we had this plan. This was last year to go tubing in North Carolina, and I thought I had the plan. We had the mitten plan, and we had the hat plan, and we had the ticket plan, and the cell phone plan, and we had everything planned. It was all a great plan, and we put it all together, and nobody asked how long the line was supposed to be. And so we got there, and it was five hours long, and there's no way we're ever going to go. And so I had these hungry, starving kids that were planning and crying, and all the plans didn't bring anything but just wreckage to my family and my 1996 Honda Pilot up there at Blackfoot, North Carolina. But the Lord has better plans than us. And we need his wisdom to have peace because we have no peace without him. And so have you ever been in a situation just like where your plan immediately gets swapped out for his plan and it turns out that his plan was better than your plan? You wouldn't have been able to plan his plan, but it was a better plan. And so the whole thing that year is like, I just want to see my, have my kids see snow and I'm from Indiana and I just want to bring my kids back to the, to the roots, you know, and we're going to have a big snowball fight and big snowman and all that kind of thing. And so anyways, the whole tubing plan fell apart. But then, I don't know, it was just like Leo started to have this stupid snowball fight with me and I was like in a bad mood, but you can hit with a snowball and it's hard to be in a bad mood. So I'm pretty great at snowball throwing. And so that's how that goes, especially when it comes to injuring kids. I'm really great at that. I don't know why. 
But like, if I wanted to hit the broadest side of a barn or like make a team for baseball or something, I'd probably strike out. But in terms of hitting a kid in the face, I am 10 for 10 on that. I'm batting really great. And so we went to Flat Rock Park, and it was just a Snoopy movie out there. I mean, I could not have paid $1,000 to plan a vacation as good as the one that the Lord took us on that day. And, and that piece was not planned by me. And I'm trying to learn, I'm starting to learn as a stubborn 37-year-old, is that when it comes to my peace or his peace, I need his peace. I don't want my peace. I want his peace, and his peace can only come from a wonderful counselor. Not just a guy that I take his advice all the time. Like, I need to have my ears open because God's going to speak through kids and counselors and coaches and preachers and good ones and bad ones. And if I want his peace, i got to listen to the capital C counselor and be okay with hearing, or capital C counselor, hearing that. I need to be tapped into his, his strength with his, his, his supernatural might that he comes as a mighty God. I need to be intact to the everlasting Father because there is no peace without Jesus and there is no Jesus without perfect peace. And so how will we find this peace? Where is this peace located at a time like this when we can't find peace or we don't feel peace sometimes? I think the secret is in Isaiah chapter 8. I think the secret is on the shoulders. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. In that shalom government, if you're looking for it, it's located on his shoulders. Anybody here have shoulder pain? I like type all day, and so if I get stressed, like some people are lower back people, but I'm up here on the shoulders. I'm a shoulders guy. Jesus only has peace on his shoulders. The government of peace sits on the shoulders of Jesus. But look up at verse 4. What does it say about our shoulders? For in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor. Romans 5.1 says a very important thing about peace. It says this, that you and I have peace with God because we are justified by Jesus. You know what justification means? It means a shoulder swap. Justification means my life for his life. Justification means that when I look at the cross, what I'm seeing is my future. What I should have been, could have been, or would have been without him. That's where I belong on the cross. But instead, because of justification, Jesus climbed up on that, tr on that tree, on that cross, and he traded his future for mine. And so what happened on that cross is that he lived the life I could have, would have, and should have lived, which is death on the cross, so that I could live the life that he could have and would have and should have lived in the spirit. He took the cross and I got the spirit. He got my shoulders and I got his. And so this is the way that Isaiah 53 talks about justification. Surely he took up our pain and our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and he was punished that brought... And the punishment, excuse me, that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we were healed. In other words, Jesus took my future, what I could have, would have, should have been, so that I could have his future, what he should have and could have, would have been, and he took my punishment and instead gave me his peace. Where will we find the peace of Jesus? 
Isaiah in Romans is telling us we will find the peace of Jesus on his shoulders. And so here's the thing about peace. Everybody like Amy Grant and John Lennon, we want to sing about peace, and everybody wants peace until they get hit in the mouth. Because when something happens to our wife or something happens to our kids or when somebody flies planes into our buildings, we don't want peace anymore. We want punishment. We want somebody to pay. There's a point where a kid will tell you about a fight that they're in, and they'll grab your arm because they want you to feel the pain that their sister put on them. You know what I'm talking about? They don't just want to put things right. They want to pay things back. And everybody wants peace until they deserve punishment. But Jesus says you can either have his future or yours. And if you want his perfect peace, then it means that we put our perfect punishment on his shoulders so that we can have his. Because we can have punishment or peace, but we cannot have both. And so this is the beauty of Jesus. It's what makes Jesus a father. Did you notice that? That's not just a Trinitarian statement. That's saying that Jesus has kids. He has offspring. And what that means is, is that Jesus doesn't just make peace. He makes peacemakers. This is how Ephesians 2 talks about peace. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier between rich and poor, uh, boomers and millennials, white and black, men and women. He's divide, he has conquered that hostility barrier, not just between man and God, but between man and man. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside his flesh, the law and its commands and regulations. Here's the thing. When you get hit in the mouth, you want to throw the book at people, but Jesus did not throw the book at you. He took your punishment and he extended his peace. That's what justification means. Verse 15, by setting aside his flesh, the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two. It's not just people that have better practices. It's that people have been made new from war makers to peacemakers. That every boot and garment of war that was soaked in blood has been transformed into peacemaking conduits to make peace. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity, not a better one, a new one, out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those who were far and peace to those that were near. For through him we have access to both the Father and the Spirit. And so here is the, the great secret to peacemaking. There is no peacemaking without forgiveness. There is no peacemaking without the cross. And it is seeing for the neighbor that has hurt you and offended you and taken from you and not acted kindly towards you. It is coming to understand that there is no sin greater than the shoulders of Jesus. The heart of forgiveness is to see that any horizontal sin done to me is not greater than the, than the vertical sin I've done to a perfect God. And the heart of forgiveness is just not feeling better or let time healing all wounds. It is putting sin in front of the cross that I might exchange punishment for peace. This is the choice before you. Do you want his peace or yours? Because inside of that, 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 that question is, do you want punishment, the future of you, or do you want peace, which is the future of Jesus? And so he has not just made peace with us. He has made peacemakers in us. He has made us reconciled people to reconcile others to himself because in the future of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is not violence. It is always peace because he has taken the punishment on his shoulders and extended the peace of God towards us. And so if you're in a season right now and you're wondering where your peace is and you can't find peace and you know that peace is your identity, it's your inheritance, but you don't feel peace, let me encourage you that peace is not a feeling, it's a fact. Peace 
is an event in history that cannot be changed by you. And anyone that has chosen by faith to exchange futures with Jesus, your future only has the life of the Spirit, which is peace and never violence. And so you have your future because he already took yours. You have peace with God today because of the cross. And so what will we do with our feelings? Feelings are great emotions that God has given us. They tell us things like the stove is hot or they tell us things like something's broken in a marriage. Those are great feelings, but we cannot be led by our feelings. We must be led by our faith. And that faith put in the fact of the cross on Calvary. And so we might start with our feelings, but we've got to get our feelings on his shoulders. We've got to get our feelings to that fact in history that there is no war between us and there is no war within us and there is therefore no war around us because he has made perfect peace between God and man through the justification of his son. And that, is, that event is not changing because of any, any of our emotions. And so this is the exercise. This is the exercise. I'll read a, a passage to you, uh, not out of the Bible this time, but from the Chronicles of Narnia, Prince Caspian. Okay? This is, I think, for those in the room that might be lacking in peace today, maybe take courage, take heart. And then, O oh joy, for he was there, the huge lion shining white in the moonlight with his huge black shadow underneath him. But for the moment of his tail, he might have been a stone lion. Movement of his tail, he might have been a stone lion. Excuse me. But Lucy never thought of that. He never stopped, she never stopped to think whether he was friendly lion or not. She rushed to him. She felt her heart would burst if she lost a moment. And the next thing she knew was that she was kissing him and putting her arms as far around his neck as she could and burying her face in beautiful, rich silkiness of his mane. Aslan, Aslan, dear Aslan, sobbed Lucy. At last, the great beast rolled over on his side so that Lucy fell, half sitting and half lying between his front paws. He bent forward and just touched her nose with his tongue. His warm breath came all around her and she gazed up in his large, wise face. Welcome, child, he said. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. That is because you are older, little one, answered he. Not because you are, I'm not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. I think that the secret of peace is that we find peace in no other place than the shoulders of Jesus. The place where he exchanged only punishment for our peace that he gave us. The peace that nobody can take from us in 2021 or 2022 or any other year. And so the process about Finding peace is not us making it or keeping it, but receiving it from him. And that is to say that instead of looking at the ground, we start looking at the cross. And notice that our peace as it grows over time is not because our sins grow smaller, but because his shoulders grow wider. If you are lacking peace with God today, if you don't feel a peace with God today, I would encourage you to put your eyes on his shoulders. Are his shoulders too small and narrow for your sin? Is his peace somehow changed because of your feelings and uprooted in its factuality as an event that took place 2,000 years ago? Are his shoulders too small for your sin? Did he not already die knowing the sins that you have already committed and will commit in the future? Are his shoulders small is what I'm asking you because his peace lives on his shoulders. And if his shoulders are small, your peace will be small. But as you grow, he can only grow bigger and his shoulders are wide because our sin is wide. And our peace didn't depend on our righteousness anyways. It depended on him. And so our peace is a fact. It's not a feeling. If you're lacking peace within yourself, this is what Philippians would tell us. 
Do not be anxious for anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests before God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, if you are lacking peace within you, my encouragement to you is to cast your eyes from the ground to look at his hands. Are his hands big enough to provide for you or not? This is where your peace lives, in the hands of the Father who only gives you what you need and never leaves you in lack of what you're, what you're needing. Are his hands big enough to provide for you or are you asking from the ground what only God can give you? The peace from within you comes from his hands that your eyes would see his hands. And lastly, if you're lacking peace, if you're lacking peace with others, continue, consider the passage, right, of Romans 12, that blessed are the, are the feet that bring good news. How far did those feet travel for you? How many seven times, 77 times have they had to forgive and forgive and forgive you? You can have your future or his, but you can't have both. And when you receive the justification of Christ, you lay down all punishment, yours and others, for the sake of his peace. And that is not in your future anymore. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.